And tonight I just want to set the scene and then there'll be three areas over the next few weeks. Not next week, of course, because Julie's flagged up Arena Unplugged. But over the next few weeks into the autumn, where we'll just talk about three areas of doing life on purpose. By the way, if you've never heard Lisa, um, then please come next week and bring some with you. She is a real turnaround story. We're all turnaround stories. Um, she doesn't go talking about it usually. In fact, it's taken us a lot to get her to the place where she'll share a story publicly. But she's our community manager down at the, uh, down at the uh, community hub in Arena. It's an, a wonderful story. Stayed where she's living, stayed in the same place. And people over the years have just seen a great turnaround story. So you'll be blessed. And if you've got somebody that you know that would just love to hear a great turnaround story next week's the week at 6 o'clock. So thanks, Julie, for flagging that up. And we're going to be talking about, on purpose, giving and loving and serving. But before we get to that, I just want to lay a foundation. Um, the word purpose, what does it mean? Well, it, it means reason, intention, determination, resolution. Purpose. One of the best-selling Christian books in the last years, some of you may have read it, was by Pastor Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in Orange County, Saddleback. And it was called The Purpose Driven Church, uh, Life. He wrote, he wrote The Purpose Driven Church as well, but The Purpose Driven Life. It became a New York bestseller for weeks. And many non-Christians bought the book because it talked to principles. Not self-motivation principles, but principles out of the revelation of God's word that God intended us to live on purpose. You see, maybe that you've had confessed over your life that you have no purpose. It may be that somebody's told you that you weren't wanted. What a start. It may be that somebody has told you you'll always be useless. It may be that somebody said to you, you'll never make anything. And it's robbed you of a sense of purpose for your life. I want to say that all of those words are not from God. Because when you were born seemingly by accident, guess what? You were born on purpose. And God saw you and God longs to come to you. And God loves to take broken people. The Bible describes them as foolish, as things that are not, as things that are despised. He loves to take hold of ordinary people that other people ignore and use them for an amazing purpose. And as I look around the room tonight, I see people that have been living this for many years. And I see other people that in recent times have come to faith and are increasingly finding that as they've given their life to Jesus, life has taken on a whole new purpose. I was watching Rick Warren being interviewed by Nicky Gumbel some time ago at the Holy Trinity Brompton Church Conference. It was a fascinating interview. Warren talked about the fact that... Um, if he'd have taken the proceeds from the selling of this book to himself, he would have been a multimillionaire. And of course he said that because he knew the people in the audience said, oh, all right for you, mate. Wish I could write a book like that. But the reality is that Rick Warren didn't take one penny from the royalties of this book at all. He sold every penny into the nation of Rwanda. And again, some of you may know that certainly a generation ago, there was a terrible intertribal conflicts in Rwanda between the Tutsis and the Hutus. Terrible division. And Rick Warren has sown every penny from that book and more to bring reconciliation and restoration to that nation with many people finding Christ. Isn't that fantastic? 
He went on to say that somebody said to him, a pastor said to him, you know, Rick, that's a great story. I wish I'd have been given the grace to write that book because I'd have done the same. And Rick Warren says, no, you wouldn't. That's why I wrote it. And so the fact is that God knows our hearts. I'd love to write that bestseller someday, but you know, God knows our hearts. The purpose-driven life. Now, it would be crass of me tonight to say that there are no unbelievers that don't live on purpose. Clearly, some do. But here's the truth. We believe in Arena Church, similar to Pastor Rick, that real purpose in life cannot be found outside of a personal relationship with God in Jesus Christ. That's why we speak the good news and we invite people to respond. We believe that real purpose is found when our lives are centered on Jesus. Of course, people ignore that and they live around themselves. I want to suggest that however successful they are, they miss the real point of living. And then, of course, there are people that really do drift in life. Aimless, no navigation points, no compass, no boundaries. And unsurprisingly, often their lives hit the rocks. And they run to all sorts of means to help them. We don't say that with any sense of pushing down on people. We just know that God loves people and wants them to come from a place of brokenness to wholeness to find him. Let me just talk for a moment about one of the most famous people in all of the Bible. His name was Paul. It originally started as Saul. He came from a place called Tarsus. He was from a Jewish tradition and he hated the church. And we read in the Acts of the Apostles, the fifth book of the New Testament, that when the church began to spread like wildfire, certain people tried to stamp it out. And Saul of Tarsus was one of them. When Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr ever to give his life for the Lord, the man that held the coats while the people rained down the boulders on Stephen was Saul. He says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 that Saul wrought havoc in the church. If I can use a modern term, it was a nasty piece of work. He hated the church. He despised it. He thought his passion in life was to stamp out this fire of people becoming Christians. And then we come to Acts chapter 9. Oh, what a turnaround. Because this man is traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus. Still the capital today of that very troubled nation of Syria. He's going there to confront the church. See how the gospel spread from south to north. We've now got a community of Christian believers in Damascus in another nation following the Lord. He's heard about it. He said, I'm going up there. I'm going to stop it. And as he's approaching Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus appears in a blinding light and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he fell to the ground. And rather than storming into the city with his crowd behind him, the Bible says he was led in, blinded temporarily. And he went to rest in a house on Straight Street. And the story goes on that God spoke to a disciple in the Damascus church called Ananias. Not a pastor, not an apostle, not an evangelist. Just seems a disciple. And he said, Ananias, 
I want you to go and pray for Saul because I have got a purpose for him. I want you to pray for him and I want you to believe that amazing things are going to take place. Now, I'd encourage you to read Acts 9 because it's a great encouragement to our humanity. Because we all know that when God tells us to do something, we all say, yeah, bring it on, Lord. But actually, it doesn't work like that sometimes, does it? Not me, Lord. You must be thinking about somebody else. And Ananias says, Lord, we've heard about all these things that this man's been doing. I really don't want to go and visit him. I certainly don't want to go and pray for him because he might, he might sort of be trouble to me. But eventually, there's this little conversation that goes back and forth between God and Ananias. You know when you get into a conversation with God, who wins eventually? God. And Ananias submitted his heart to God and he says, and he went. He prayed for Saul. He described him as brother Saul. Wow. What a welcome into the family. He prayed for him. His sight was restored. He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not bad, is it? All in a day's work. There was an incredible turnaround in, we'll call him Paul's life. And he became a gifted apostle. Here's what Acts chapter 9 says. It says that he, in verse 15, Ananias, God said, Ananias, you must go and visit him because this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. I've got a purpose for him. I know he's Jewish. I know his background's Jewish. I know that's what's causing him to have all his problems with me. But now he's saved. Now he's turned around. I'm going to work on his heart. And he's going to go to the non-Jews, planting churches, seeing miracles, and establishing things. That's the heart of God. God's got people here tonight, and he's going to send you to place. I'm not talking far. Could send you next door. Could send you across the road. Could send you to the office across the corridor. To some unlikely person that you don't think you can connect with. And you make a difference because you're living on purpose. And you know the rest of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament books were written by Paul because he established churches and then he wrote to those churches to help them grow in the faith, encouraging and grounding the believers. It came out of a process. Let me just qualify that. He didn't get saved in Damascus one day and preaching the next. In fact, Bible commentators think there was about 13 years between the experience in Damascus and his release into ministry in Antioch. I'm not saying you've got to wait 13 years, but what I am saying is that if you want to be used of God, you have to commit to a process. To let God keep working on your heart, changing you, letting his spirit come to your life, making you ready for what he's got for you. I'm excited tonight because as we were worshipping, and I'm not just hyping it because as I was worshipping, I really felt God wanted me to encourage people here tonight to say that you are on the cusp. That is the start of a new purpose in your life. I really believe it. There are people here tonight that are at the start of a new purpose in God's design. And so we get this amazing turnaround. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul is making his plans for ministry. When all of a sudden at night he had a vision. Seems to happen at night, doesn't it? God likes disturbing people's sleep. But at night time, God came and there was a vision of a man from Macedonia. And it says, 
Come over and help us. The capital of Macedonia was named after me. It's called Philippi. And uh, I'm not even sure I was named after it, you know, but... And he changed all his plans and he arrived at Philippi. He made a connection with a lady called Lydia, who was a draper, a business lady. She gathered a few people together. And out of that, the church started. And you know in Acts 16 as well, that for their troubles, they got thrown into prison. And uh, because the people, the, this, this lady that had been dominated by the powers of darkness had been set free. And so they got in prison. They began to praise God. Um, God gave a miraculous miracle. The prison doors opened. The jailer was going to kill himself. And Saul says, don't do it. We're still here. And that family became Christians too. Just great stories of what God was doing. And a little later on in the New Testament, Paul writes to this church in Philippi. We know the book is Philippians. Just four chapters. I encourage you to read it sometime. You read it in half an hour, 20 minutes. It's just got a great theme of joy. It's one of my favorite New Testament books, if I'm allowed to have favorites. And it's there that I want to go for the last few minutes of the message tonight and make three or four brief points. And so, Robert, if we could have the uh, words up. When I, when I speak on a Sunday, I don't often read a, sort of like a, a, a passage of Scripture. I normally just take a verse just to save time. But tonight, I want to read about 10 or 11 verses from uh, this particular passage and we're going to start at verse 7 of Philippians 3. If you're taking notes or if you want to follow it on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. This is the turnaround Saul of Tarsus. Now the Apostle Paul speaking about purpose over his life. So he said, but whatever were gained to me. I think I was I'm in the optician sort of having that test. But um, so I just on the back. Whatever was gained to me. I'm passing as well, okay. But whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Oh, this gets more interesting. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, I don't like that. Whoa, back, Robert. I don't like that American word, garbage. That I consider them rubbish in fact the old king james version forgive them says i consider them dung oh no i consider them rubbish that i may gain christ yeah we can and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in jesus christ the righteousness that comes from god on the basis of faith that's the only way we get it i want to know christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal. But listen, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's another one of those sporting analogies, running analogies, that Paul uses. Forgetting what's behind, pressing on to what's ahead. My Alison ran the Robin Hood half marathon this morning. She had to have a goal. 13 miles is a long way to run, you know. 
And uh, I saw a picture on Twitter with a sort of foil around her, and we've got to find out what the time is. But the reality is all finishers are winners. That's true. It's true in the faith. All finishers are winners. We're pressing on towards the goal. No good stopping after three miles saying, well, I had to go. want to finish. want to finish. Those of you that have started, on purpose, determine you're going to finish what God's called you to. Right, Robert, if we can go to the next. And then we go to verse 20, I think. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Again, the old translation says, will transform our vile bodies. Well, speak for yourself, okay, but... but. (laughs) Four things, very briefly, and I will be very brief, about this man living his life on purpose. Firstly... There was holy abandonment. And the book ends to these passages that the start of chapter 3 is talking about the people being full of joy. And the start of chapter 4 is talking about standing firm in the faith. He's saying to the people, from my example, I want to encourage you also to live life on purpose. So firstly, holy abandonment. He says those things that were mine in the past, I now consider loss for Jesus Christ. He was religious. He had a system of belief. He was passionate about it, and it caused him to hate Christians. Forgive me if this sounds a bit cliched, but like most cliches, it's true. We are here tonight, not because of religion, but because of relationship. Arena Church is not into religion. So all them religions in the world cause all these problems. I don't want anything to do with religion. No, we don't either. It's not an occupant of the house. We are into relationship with a loving God that has changed us forever. Now, this man's religious pedigree was impeccable. I don't have time to read it tonight, but if you read Philippians 3... It was absolutely, if this guy was going to get to heaven because he was religious, he was front of the queue. But he says, I count all that as rubbish when I've been confronted with the living Jesus. Abandonment to him. Let me just remind you tonight that you can never get to God through religion. You can't get to God by trying harder. You can't get to God by screwing yourself up in a ball and squeezing yourself a bit tight and getting it a bit more intense. It doesn't work. You get to God tonight by recognizing he's already paid the price. We didn't deserve to receive the blessing of it, but he says, if you'll believe in me, I'll take away all the things that you're ashamed of, all the things that have hurt you, all the things that you're not happy with. It's called sin. And I'll make you a new person. And you will have the power from me to live your life on purpose. That is a Christian. And I encourage you tonight to be forsaking and cutting off anything that stops you from getting to God. Secondly, holy ambition. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Now, there are many people that are ambitious to be the fastest, the longest, the cleverest. 
the wealthiest. Some of these ambitions are wrong. But again, if we leave God out of them, then we miss something. People putting themselves beyond hitherto unattainable landmarks. We miss it if God's not at the center. Paul says, I want to know you, Jesus. You may say, well, he already knew him. No, I wanted to know him more. If you're old like me, can you remember that song? I want to know you more. I want that, that's the secret of this message. I want to know you more. I want to know you. You know, I've been a Christian quite a long time now. And I'm still enjoying getting to know Jesus. He's a bit uncomfortable at times because he also wants to get to know me better. And in the light of God's holiness at times, when I think I'm doing well, he sometimes digs over something and highlights how I can still need some shaping in my life. But there's this ongoing relationship with God to get to know him better. Out of the radical surgery of Paul's life, he became best friends with Jesus. I wonder tonight if you want to know him. I want to know him. I wonder if you want to know him tonight as your saviour. Your saviour. To be rescued from the wrong and past of the past and to have a purpose for the future. I wonder if you want to know him tonight as your satisfier. Paul says in chapter 4 of Philippians that I know what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to have little. But in all of it, I'm content. Isn't that incredible? And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I wonder if tonight you want to know Jesus as your sustainer. Give away to self-effort and let him become the engine room of your heart. I wonder tonight if you want to know Jesus as your sovereign. In other words, not just as the saviour, but you can be Lord of my life. I wonder tonight if you'll give permission for Jesus to say whatever he wants to say to your life. Knowing that it will always be for your best. And for you to come, maybe for the first time, with a surrendered heart to Jesus, I yield to you. Thirdly, holy advancement. Living life on purpose takes us forward. Those verses that I alluded to about running the race, about pressing through. Here's what the Message Bible says. I'm not saying that I've got all this together, that I've made it, but I am well on my way. Reaching out to Christ who reaches out to me. Paul went on to say, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning me onwards to Jesus. I'm off and running and there's no turning back. And we sing a song that's become an anthem of our church in the last 18 months or so. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Holy advancement. Don't go back to the things that hurt you. Don't go back to the things that shamed you. Keep going forward. Living life on purpose. Fourthly, holy anticipation. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Ah, thought so. Those Christians with their heads in the clouds. So heavenly minded, you know earthly use. You need to get in the real world, Phil. That's what you need to do. You need to get in the real world. Well, here's the truth, friends. And it's been proven historically over 2,000 years that the Christians who do most in this world are those who think most about the next. 
Some of the great reforms that have taken place in childcare, education and hospitals have come out of a Christian motivation over the years of heavenly minded people that have wanted to make a difference on the earth. And I find that all over the place today, churches are reaching out to their broken communities. It may be food bank. It may be a connection with single parent mums. It may be a mother and tots. It may be a coffee program. Whatever it is. But people, that are at a gaze of heaven that want to make a difference on the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's why the Apostle Paul, earlier in Philippians 1, when he was talking about dying, wasn't phased by it. Because he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. <clears throat> he, wasn't, he, was, he was saying that when he passed on, he was... He was he was not missing home, he'd gone home. And that uh, there was an incredible expression of faith in all of that. Earlier this spring, I had the joy of going to Egypt as part of a delegation with the Assemblies of God, led by Ron Hibbert, who I mentioned on the video clip tonight. Ron, as always, was meticulous in his preparation and said, that, Phil, you'll need $25 to get your visa when you arrive there. You'll have to apply for it beforehand. But you have to get there. So we arrived at Cairo Airport early evening. And the first thing we do before we go across the barriers, we have to go to Mr. Visa Man. Uh, not Barclaycard Visa, but Egyptian Visa. And uh, so, you know, so got me $25 ready, queued up. And he got this huge sort of sticker. He must have wanted a drink. Yeah, he got this huge sticker. And he put it across the whole page of the passport. There's nothing like an Egyptian visa. It's the best going. <laughs> So there you go, I gave him the money, then I had access for the next six days into that nation. No visa, no visit. And tonight, God wants to let you know that he wants you to know that you've got the visa of heaven stamped over your life. And when you've got the visa of heaven stamped over your life, you make a difference on the earth. I don't want to walk around with my head in the clouds. But I realize that as I keep gazing at where I'm going, and as I understand that I've got eternity in my heart, and that God has come to me and given me a hope and a future, I want to make a difference on the earth. I want to touch people's lives. I want to influence them. And this church does as well. Holy anticipation. But there is coming a day. So pointing unto man wants to die, and after that judgment, when every one of us will have to give an account of our life to God. If I can be bold tonight, where are you going? I know many people think, well, we're just going into nothingness. A friend of mine says, well, we're just going to return to being cosmic dust. Boy, it's enough to make you slash your wrists, isn't it? You know, there's got to be more than that. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Don't worry, you're not going to get bored hanging on that cloud playing your harp 24-7. There's one cartoon he says, as he depicted that, one angel said, sure, wish I bought a magazine with me. But it's going to be a winsome, beautiful community of people that come back to the restored purpose of God when he first had intimate relationship with man, right back in Genesis. So we finish. I want you to be encouraged over the few weeks that we've got to be continually drawn into purpose. Intention, determination, resolve. To say, Lord, I want to live my life, not drift. I don't want to hit the rocks. 
I don't want to just drift around. We understand that every one of us have ordinary days. But to have a reflection on our lives, to know that we're living on purpose. One other great man in the Bible said these words, that I have served God's purpose in my generation. One of the things that we're passionate about in Arena Church going forward is that through purpose, we will have people coming to know God, finding freedom, discovering their purpose, and making a difference. That is the heart of God for every one of us. We do it together as church community, and we do it through the shape and definition we find individually. Different people around this room, different gifts, different temperaments, different journeys, and different purposes swallowed up in the giant purpose of God. Go on that discovery of finding exactly how God wants to use you. And we'll try and help you with that as we go forward. All this comes, friends, not by religion, not by self-effort, application, but by revelation, not by trying harder, not by the latest fad, but by the enduring word. Arena Church Mansfield God wants us increasingly to respond to what God is doing in these days. Whatever our age, whatever our background, however long we've been a Christian, and to live life on purpose. Let's pray.